0: Professors FM. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by Emory's Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Doug Battle. Doug, sometimes I like to go at you from a random direction, right off the bat.
1: By sometimes, you mean every time.
0: So, Doug, you know... We talk about fandom a lot, and sometimes we highlight a group of fans. We gave a lot of praise to Tennessee football fans last fall. One fandom that we cannot underrate and maybe, you know, is right up there with sports fandom is the Swifties. Oh, yeah. So, Doug, Barstool Sports had, you know... Blasted out, amplified a tweet made by a TikToker talking about how, and apparently this is a thing. Taylor Swift fans, Taylor Swift sings for sings forty some songs for three hours, I guess. Holy smokes! That they are wearing adult diapers so they do not miss a second of the performance. And do you know they dress in costume? They dre- Taylor Swift fans mm-hmm. wear dresses yep. that. Are so they in a way they're wearing the uniform of their favorite or most impactful Taylor Swift album?
1: Yeah, I have seen that. I didn't know that they wore diapers under the uniform. Maybe that I don't think that's part of (laughs) of the original uniform, (laughs) but it is an act of dedication that I'm surprised we haven't seen from sports fans. I know people who won't drink any liquid within hours of a game so that they won't have to miss any of the action i don't know if any of you have ever had the experience of going to the bathroom during a big game that you paid to attend and nothing's happened the whole game and you go in the restroom it is the worst feeling when you hear that sound of the crowd roaring. (laughs) It happened to me during a Georgia-Auburn game on a pick six, and you hear the crowd roaring, and you're just like, man, I picked the worst time. And so, like I said, I'm surprised we haven't seen this from like football fans, basketball fans, soccer fans. Maybe we have, and it's just gone unnoticed.
0: Think about the beauty of what you just did. You just connected the Swifties and Taylor Swift with a Georgia-Auburn football game, right? Same thing same thing in a way, right? Yeah. You know, they're wearing dresses to match or outfits to match their favorite Taylor Swift album, Mark shoulder pads, jerseys and shoulder pads.
1: Yeah.
0: But again, the maybe the bottom line, Swifties have got to be one of the top fan bases for 2023 outside of sports, I think they've probably run the table within sports, yeah, they're more
1: competitive. I don't know They, I don't know if sports even compete with them. I mean, they're having to add dates to the... I mean, everything's sold out. They're adding dates to these massive arenas. I can't imagine what the decibel levels are in there just with pure shrieking and screaming, likely louder than most professional sporting events before you even take into account the music. And so a very dedicated fan base. Taylor is a marketing genius, and I think everyone is aware of that. I think so- a recent trend I've seen with her that's quite interesting is she's taking ownership of her big hits from the past that a record label owned and re-recording them so that she has basically all the royalties coming in for the remainder of those streams. And fans eat it up. They buy it like it was the first one. They stream it like it was the first one. She might add one more song or an extended edition or a B-side, but it'll top the charts every single time she's doing it. So now it's like she can just go back the rest of her career, she wants and just every year release an old album, just re-record the song, and I've actually seen other bands doing that now, so kind of setting a trend there for monetizing music and monetizing your brand. And you got to tip your cap
0: to to the yeah. business sense of that young and lady the and really her pushed, team. Yeah, look, I mean the Swift the Swifties are impressive. Yes. The only thing I'm gonna push back on is, you know, that Tennessee fan base tore down a goalpost and somehow got it out of the stadium and into the river.
1: (laughs) They haven't done anything like that yet. I don't know what the equivalent what would the equivalent be for do they carry out the stage like like ants carrying a little stick, (laughs) a little log or something, carry it out of the venue.
0: Uh, it's got to be an amazing, it's got to be an amazing site. The demographics of the Taylor Swift audience, it's got to be something that the, frankly, you and I are probably not accustomed to in terms of, you know, uh, mostly attending. I think, well, in my case, mostly attending (laughs) standard sporting events.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I have the like $2,000 to blow on a ticket for the era's tour, but otherwise I'd be there, Mike, just to see the experience. (laughs) uh, I will say from a fandom perspective, the one thing that's missing is like the hate side of it. I feel like it's all love with T-Swift. You don't have that. Like, Tennessee fans hate Alabama. They hate okay. Georgia. They hate...
0: She doesn't have a rival. She's not mad at... I mean, she's had... Okay, it's the guy. It's the ex. She's not mad at some at someone. It's the exes, I
1: guess, that get... But it's like, to get that sports atmosphere, you'd almost need like her ex-boyfriend to be leading up for her and the whole crowd to be booing his entire set and then have her perform and then have him perform and back and forth or something. You miss that. Like you don't you get the passion of those fans, but you don't get that like passion fueled toward and right. like at somebody else. And that's what I like that's what I loved about the Tennessee fandom and I mean when I played sports even just at the high school level, I loved playing on the road. I loved when I loved getting heckled. I lo- I mean I thought it was hilarious. I thought it, I think it's all great. And uh, yeah, you miss that in, in with something like T-Swift. It, I don't think, I think on the internet, there's a lot of hate, like a lot of, I know like Olivia Rodrigo's another one, just kind of like a baby T-Swift and her fandom was brutal toward, no pun intended, but that's one of her songs, but <laughs> brutal toward toward her former boyfriend. And I know the Swifties <laughs> can be the same, but you don't see it at the events. You don't get that. You don't yeah. get the Trey is balding chance. You don't get like mean stuff from the fans toward the okay. opponent.
0: Doug, some other, I don't know, sports <laughs> intersecting with entertainment and pop culture this week. It's all over Instagram over the last day or so. Tom Brady hanging out on a boat with Mr. Beast. Now, look, I learned about Mr. Beast from teaching my class last semester in terms of Mr. Beast apparently is the big dog among influencers at this point. I, I think his shtick is he sort of, you know, sets up kind of extreme events donates a lot of things yeah I know he sells chocolate bars uh, so Brady's on a boat with mr. Beast and knocks a drone out of the sky with a football beautiful my takeaway from this is uh, you know again all this kind of stuff coming together or like it's sort of the Logan Paul or Jake Paul kind of you know entertainment you know sports entertainment model in a way all this stuff coming together but the fact that Tom Brady, a guy that is an undisputed goat, has a massive broadcast career in front of him. He's out there kind of working the, he's out there working it. He's hanging out with Mr. Beast. He's filming novelty video. I don't know, what do you call it? Novelty videos or kind of TikTok-ish videos with this guy who has a reach that's probably, it's probably got an astonishing reach, right? I mean, in terms of, you know, millions upon hundreds of millions of, of an audience. Yeah, I don't know why Tom does that. Maybe the Brady
1: brand, but I'll say this: he's magic on mm-hmm. on TikTok. I mean, the guy has got charisma. He knows. I, I don't know if he has a team telling him what to do, or if he's just naturally picked up Doug, on it from his called, kids, or what. Doug, I think it's called Riz. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to go with, but yeah, it's not like he needs to be doing that. Like I'd probably just be off on some island myself. But, Tom, apparently he misses being in the limelight and likes to go viral from time to time. We've seen it several times in his short retirement, although, he, like you said, he's got the broadcasting career lined up. He could be in the NFL if he wanted to. And at this point in his life, it seems like he's choosing the influencer life. He wants to be a 20-year-old that drives Lamborghinis because they make funny viral stuff. So, that's, well, I mean, that's yeah, pretty telling about the
0: times he seems to want to have an impact with Gen Z and maybe Gen Alpha. And so, you know, where it came from, but he seemed completely geared towards marketing. I think you said the Brady brand. The Brady brand is a brand, right? And he's not, he doesn't seem to be willing to stick with the older millennials and the Gen Xs. He wants to keep it going, which I think is great. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time.
1: Yeah, I wonder if he'll have like a John Madden, kind of career in the sense of there's one generation that views John Madden as this great coach. There's another generation that views John Madden as this great broadcaster who used to be a coach. And there's this other generation that views John Madden as the face of the video game who used to be this great broadcaster. And it seems like Brady is going to be at some point he'll be this great broadcaster who used to be a great football player. But maybe even to some, a viral internet star, a Logan Paul, if you will, who was a former football player and apparently won some Super Bowls. I could see. I mean, you mentioned Gen Alpha, which I've never heard that before. Is that what they're called?
0: Yeah, that's the. That's so is
1: the next one Gen Beta?
0: I don't, you know, Doug, I don't know who gets to name these things. Okay. But I started hearing Gen Alpha, you know, a while ago, and oh. yeah. You know, again, there's probably a battle like uh, because it's like everything else. The marketers and the consultants are trying to own the expertise of the next generation coming up. So, you know, if you can name it, then you probably own it and you get to write the books and do the consulting contracts and all that.
1: Gotcha. But, yeah, Tom, clearly it's a priority for him to be top of mind for each generation. I respect it just because he's great. He's kind of what we think Joe Burrow should be. In terms of his online presence and his marketing magic, and so I'm here for it. But uh, yeah, he can't. Every Tom Brady video, you're like, is this real or is this fake? Because he's a talented enough guy that it could be real. I remember seeing him throw the Lombardi Trophy from one boat to the next after the Bucks won the Super Bowl. Did that was. Uh, that f- I thought that was real. That was real, but oh, okay. it, but there was a moment like on the internet, people were like, "This is fake. There's no way he did that." And on the flip side, it's like this guy's got so many Lombardi trophies; like he doesn't. It's not risking much for him to toss it over the the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and the other one was Tom throwing a football into a machine pitch thing, yeah. and it's shooting it back to him. I don't know if you remember that. And love- that. Yeah, so yeah. The, I mean, he's had a couple where you watch it, and you're I don't, I still don't know what this drone one. I'm like, is this real? It's like when you see LeBron make like. 30 like full court shots in a row in a video and you're like i mean it could be real (laughs) he's capable of that on the right day but i don't know i still don't know i don't really care
0: i think you're dead on i mean because it is that we're throwing it into the pitch machine was outlandish yeah but there's something about brady that gives you a little bit of doubt you're like i think he's
1: trying to become this like chuck norris figure where he's like There are legends, and you don't know if it's true, but they probably are just because he's so great. I think that's what he's going for. Like, did he hit the drone? I don't know. I mean, it's more fun to believe that he did. That's a real thing. Same with the machine pitch. So maybe that's part of his strategy, or maybe there is no strategy, and he's just out here having a good time. He's a grown-up kid with a lot of money, a lot of resources, and watched a Dude Perfect video and said, oh, I could do that. Let's go get a boat. And a drone, and let's let's yeah, let's get another internet star, and let's go wild with this. Well,
0: I mean, I think that's an interesting perspective on this because, you know, as I watch that Brady video and I think about his connection with Mister Beast, that you know, sometimes I think about some of the other sports out there, some of the other sports that are struggling for relevance, Mm. and I think what Brady is doing is really demonstrating probably where this is going you know, can you think of a major league baseball player that could be on a boat with an internet sensation and knocking a drone out of the ball out of the sky by throwing a baseball at it? And, you know, doing that with an internet celeb that has the ability to amplify that and put it out there for essentially, you know, I don't know, 80% of Generation Z and Generation Alpha. Right. I don't think there is a guy. And so Brady is... Guys like Brady are likely to become incredibly powerful for these leagues. You know, we had an example of the power of the individual with Messi signing or agreeing to come to the Miami, what's the soccer team, Inter, Miami Inter, and I saw reports that their social media went up, oh, I had a PhD student that told me the social media went up by five times. Their social following went from about a million to five million. Okay. It's, you know, Messi, you look at Messi's Instagram account, and I think it's in the neighborhood of, he's probably one of these guys that's 300, 400, 500 million. Mm -hmm. And so the power of him coming to the MLS, it's kind of, it's kind of unique, right? It's what I think people always thought this was going to be. You know, you used the word influencer, I think. Yeah, This seems to be the key in everything, but these guys, who are the sports influencers going to be? And I'm not talking about the little ones. I'm talking about the ones that can kind of move the world.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned Messi, Fanalytics fellow, Adrian Theory, sent me some numbers on that one. I wanted to mention one at least is that Miami's average ticket price increased from $24.52 to (laughs) $124.51. So that's...
0: Five times that they just screwed their core fan base. It's the greatest thing that you are a Miami fan and you are loving this, and then you can go, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) but you've all and like I remember when I was a kid and the Chicago Bulls went from being kind of this terrible club to Michael Jordan, and that audience like shifted overnight. I mean, it's one of the realities of sports. It's it
1: happens all the time. I mean, I think like my personal. Uh, affiliation would be Alabama football. It used to be like Alabama. That's kind of where anyone in the state of Alabama, they go to the football game on Saturday to, to hang is like going to a NASCAR race or something, you know, and then Nick Saban comes to town. You go to an Alabama game. Now you're sitting next to sea levels. You're sitting next to all these attorneys, all these, you know, it's a different, it is a different atmosphere. It used to be. And I think, It can kind of be a bummer for sports fans. Like I think about the Golden State Warriors, Oracle Arena, the atmosphere that they had in there, a very hungry fan base, you know, Oakland, kind of the pride of Oakland, and they have major success with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, win some championships. First thing they do, move across the bridge, San Francisco into a wealthier area where ticket prices are higher, newer arena, and they kind of price out their core fan base. I see that all the time. I feel that when I go to, when I've made it to big sporting events like the national championship in college football, for example, sometimes the atmosphere isn't as good as some of the home games and stuff because it prices out some of the like rabid people. (laughs) (laughs) who just can't be there can't afford to be there and so i always like seeing the craziest fans and you don't see that like in the new golden state warriors arena or like i said in like a national championship game for college football there's less
0: it might be part of the broader story of fan fandom weakening over time Mm -hmm. yeah you know as you price out let's say the blue collar you know maybe the traditional blue collar sports fan you start to lose those generational influences and you know you start to contract. If the only kids in the stadium are the kids of the corporate VPs and the lawyers, it's going to soften things eventually. Okay. I used to get
1: irritated as a fan. Like I remember as a student at Georgia, a not getting a national championship ticket when Georgia made it my senior year, didn't get a ticket from the school. And some of the people I knew who were going were like just there just it was kind of it was like when you watch the Lakers and there's like some celebrities there that are like they're not like huge Lakers fans they don't live and die by what happens they're just there because it's somewhere
0: to be well, that and it, Doug the La Super Bowl might have been the best example of that of all time yeah
1: yeah yeah you you had Olivia Rodrigo you had I don't know I mean you had all these random young and old stars who probably never watched a Rams game in their life at the Super Bowl kind of pretending to pull for them and. I mean, I, when I'm at a, if I'm at a big Georgia game, I've been to so many games where I have like people in front of me who are just won't stop. They're just taking pictures of themselves or on their phone the entire game. And it's like this massive game. And I have friends back home who couldn't make it there because they couldn't afford a ticket. And then you got someone there who clearly doesn't care to be there or they brought their kid, you know, spent a whole ticket on their kid. And like, as a fan, you're like, that's not fair. We should have the people that really care should be here. And I think that's how like Warriors fans probably feel. And I know it's how I feel sometimes.
0: And last sort of intersection of popular culture and sports, Conor, Conor McGregor apparently has oh. a pain relief spray. And as part of the promotion in the, during the NBA championship series, <laughs> And again, we're taping this just before what could be the final game of this series. So we'll get back to that yeah. largely next yeah. week. Punches the mascot and then follow the mascot falls. You know, it's a skit. And then McGregor comes around and punches the mascot again. Doug, I have no idea. The mascot goes to the hospital. I have no idea if Connor actually, you know, did damage or if he just fell backwards and banged his head on the floor or if the second shot did it. No idea. But, I, and I don't even know what it means. What does it mean? It's an intriguing thing to watch. I watched it over and over on Instagram. But, I, well, I don't part even know how to... Th- part
1: of me thinks this is all staged to get us to talk about McGregor's product, because I didn't know that was a thing before you said that just now.
0: Well, um, and remember McGregor's background in terms of when we threw through the barricade at the bus window? I mean, <laughs> Connor is clearly willing to engage in vandal, vandalism and destruction for likes and follows and watches and impressions here's what i'll say life imitates art
1: we see it time and time again and have you seen ace ventura (laughs) in the 90s there's a scene where jim carrey is fighting a mascot (laughs) and they're on the internet when this thing happened there all the comments were just gifts of that happening and i also will say this mike you sent me an article a couple weeks ago about how the highest paid mascot in the nba is the denver nuggets mascot makes 625k per year to which i responded with my desire to become a mascot now but I think Rocky the Mountain Lion is going to have some competition here with whoever the Miami Heats mascot is, which by the way, what even is that thing? I don't know. But you have to imagine they're in for a big payday from Conor McGregor. And it'll be interesting to see how that pays off for him if he has any brain cells left after taking those punches.
0: Okay, Doug. So like I said, a lot of fun stuff going on in the world of sports and culture but our mission today is to continue our countdown of the top NFL fan bases. So we left off with, what we leave off with? We left off with the Bengals at number twenty-eight. Who are going to be on the rise? Yeah, who are likely to be on the rise? I mean, one of the one of the interesting conclusions we led from looking at the bottom five clubs last week was there's a lot of good quarterbacks in yep. those. So a lot of hope in those cities, not just for championships, but in terms of the ownership, a lot of hopes for the brands to be built uh, over the near and extended term.
1: And I got to give it to the NFL for having a structure that creates that because uh, you keep your bottom teams, fan bases engaged when you have a system where they're likely, the more they lose, the more likely they are to have the next big guy. And it's, yeah, it creates hope. and so. Everyone's engaged. Everyone's got a shot in the long term. It's a beautiful system. College football does not have that. <laughs> the rich get richer. The you know, the worse you do on the field, the worse you're gonna do the next season more times than not because of recruiting. And so I it is something that I admire about the NFL.
0: Okay, so Doug, and number twenty seven, we've got the Arizona Cardinals. It doesn't surprise me that they're in the lower tier of the league. I don't think there's anything with the Cardinals that kind of says, you know, I don't think I've ever met a rabid Arizona Cardinal or, frankly, St. Louis Cardinal fan in my life. The team has moved, always disruptive. It's probably a tough market in terms of coming into a lot of sunshine in Phoenix, Probably also, it's a decent sized market at this point, but a lot of, got to imagine a lot of transplants. You know, there's no generational fandom in terms of, you know, granddad wasn't an Arizona Cardinals fan. And so you end up with low prices and below social, below average social media.
1: Yeah, I don't know a ton of Cardinals fans myself. Granted, I've never lived (laughs) in Arizona, so I, I wouldn't know. But I admire their stadium. I've always thought it was cool. There's been a lot of big Super Bowl games there, college football. I think the national championship's gonna be there next year. Brought in, they've brought a lot of attention to that city. Oftentimes it goes back to quarterback and you think about the great quarterbacks they've had. Kurt Warner almost won his Super Bowl in Arizona. And but other than that, I mean the most noteworthy player I think of is Larry Fitzgerald, you know, a wide receiver. And uh, Kyler Murray, I think he's paid like he's elite. I don't know that the fan base is incredibly enthused about him. I certainly wouldn't be if he played for my franchise. And so a tough place, I think, and a tough situation to build fandom. And like we talked about Cincinnati being in a great position moving forward with this elite quarterback in the mix same with Jacksonville I don't know that Arizona has that although they may think they do time will tell with Kyler Murray and his development but to me it seems like we kind of know who he is and as long as he's there I don't see huge changes coming to to as far as fandom is concerned as far as these rankings are concerned
0: yeah I mean you know you mentioned the quarterbacking and Mm -hmm. I think that's usually very informative in terms of where these rankings come from I mean you also look at you know past Super Bowl championships but you look at the Cardinals past quarterback you had Jim Hart when they were in the St. Louis Cardinals Neil Lomax I'm talking about the guys with multiple years as a starter yeah. yeah Jake Plummer Kurt Warner and now Kyler Murray Palmer it's about what you'd expect for that and you know like again you always have to remember there's no bad NFL fan bases there's always passion so right. this is stuff but you know the Cardinals are what they are yeah, that's the best way of putting it,
1: and it doesn't seem like they're going to be anything else for the foreseeable future.
0: And again, it's a you know, it's one of my you know, it's one of my soapbox things. I hate the signing of guys like Kyler Murray at those kind of dollars, but it, it, this is where I think these franchises end up being completely trapped—the mm-hmm. above-average, maybe, maybe slightly below-average NFL starting quarterback that. has gotten you to the point where you're going something like nine and eight and the fan base sees the hope and you got to pay these guys and you lock yourselves into mediocrity.
1: Yeah, I would rather be in a Cincinnati situation like pre-borough or Jacksonville where it's like we're going to have the number one through number three somewhere in there pick every single season until things turn around. I'd rather be there than – be in a spot where it's like ah we're not going to be high enough in the draft to get an
0: elite quarterback wasn't, wasn't murray a number one guy wasn't he a number yeah. one overall he was number one so that's but the heart can you pull the can you pull the plug on a number one overall pick that's getting sunk you cost.
1: Us? yeah sunk cost
0: fair fair okay at number 26 doug we've got the tennessee titans Okay, the Arizona Cardinals moved, right? They were the St. Louis Cardinals. The Tennessee Titans were the Houston Oilers. So not only did they move, they changed the name. You know, all-time great quarterbacks for the Tennessee Titans, McNair, Warren Moon, Eddie George at the running back. You know, going farther back to Houston, you got Earl Campbell. So it's Again, I think we're, you know, when you talk about the quarterbacks, there's sort of this lack of legacy and you end up being something where, look, to me, it still feels like a relatively new franchise in terms of, you know, in terms of where they're located in Nashville, below average prices, really mediocre social media results. Now I will say this, and I think you're going to agree with me. They got the most intriguing guy in the NFL draft this year. And he may be a complete bust, but he also might be he might be good and he might be amusing. So Will Levis, if, gives if he me has help. Yeah, if he has like a
1: Josh Allen kind of trajectory, things could turn around in Tennessee. But I'll say this about the Titans fan base. I had a nightmare last night about my one experience at LP Field at the time. And that's when my New York Giants came to town. I was, I don't know if I was nine or 10 years old. My dad took me as one game I was getting to go to that year. Second Giants game ever. And the first thing, the in-game experience, I do think it contributes to fandom. And I don't know if it's changed there, but when I went, I remember I likened it to a minor league baseball game. It was so family friendly that it took away from the seriousness of the grown men playing football <laughs> it didn't feel ultimate and didn't this feel what you felt like when you were eight or nine yeah i was a kid and i was like this is kind of cheesy and okay. i in retrospect it's like they were catering it to me and i'm sitting there like give me something serious i want to feel like this is important not like this is just something to hold my attention so that you can advertise some potato chips and so that that was the atmosphere it was very like take your family to the ballpark, watch some minor league players you don't care about play, and watch the silly mascots run around the bases. It was that kind of thing. I will say, though, the reason they're not ranked last on the list is because of one fan in that stadium who was the subject of my nightmare last night. And this guy, (laughs) the Giants blew a 21-point lead. They were up 21-0 in the first quarter, I believe. They were up 21-0 with seven minutes left in the game. So pretty uneventful second, third quarter and start to the fourth. And the Titans won in regulation. One of the most amazing, objectively, one of the most amazing sporting events I've ever witnessed in terms of someone falling apart, Eli Manning. Uh, I think he had two or three interceptions to Pac-Man Jones in the fourth quarter. Vince Young was absolutely electric. I think it was that next year he was on the cover of Madden. People thought of him. Like how we think of, or like how we thought of, you know, Patrick Mahomes after his first year playing, where it's like, this guy's going to be the face of the league. He's going to be a star. He was my guy on Madden for a long time. After that, he was very fun to play with. But Giants blow 21 point lead in regulation. I'm 10 years old, 9, 10. I'm with my dad. After the game, I'm at an age where I cry every time George, every time the Giants lose a football game every single time like watching on tv and i had my hopes up for this i thought it was gonna be the best day of my life and i was just crushed so i'm crying and this is where titan superfan comes in and gets down face level with me and starts mocking me as his team beat mine and i'm a crybaby about it and i'm crying And I think if it weren't for that guy, they would be last on our list because of everything else I saw there. But the passion and delusion you've got to have to mock a crying 10-year-old. Traumatic to you or great to you at this point? Oh, great. It's great. That's just sports fandom. I've seen it so many times. I always laugh. I always laugh when I see it. But as far as these fans, I mean, it was traumatic at the time, I think. And I think my dad, I think there was like a moment where he's like, am I about to get arrested for... Yeah. for stepping in here or it's and you just decide probably not worth it and it's, it's probably not worth it over you know some silly football game and this fan but that's where my dad was a little bit more level-headed i think if he were a better fan there would have been an all-out brawl right there not you're, over the child but over the sport over the game right and daughter, the
0: outcome. but you're just not enough of a fan <laughs> exactly oh, she just said.
1: <laughs> he wasn't a fan he was just there for me you know so it's like if I'd been with a real Giants fan I think some hands would have been thrown but no I respect it I'm like not in a realistic way but in a more like you know what that guy is passionate he cares about his team so much that he's completely delusional and that's what the show's about <laughs> it's about fans it's about and that guy's he's elite he's elite I mean the level of delusion you've got to have at that point you've got to be really all in And I mean, that, that is his life. And that is, he's the reason why the Titans are what? 25. Where are we on the list? 25, 26 and and not 32. Yeah. So he's carrying them and stay strong brother. Maybe this year's draft pick or last year's Malik Willis, one of those two will take you guys to that next level and, and take you because the Titans, they're kind of, uh, kind of like the Cardinals. Their history is like, they almost did it one time. They had that one year, they had a miraculous run it's referenced in castaway tom hanks <laughs> and the titans everyone i know in tennessee that lived there at the time was like we'll talk about how amazing it was yeah. and that and they didn't win
0: a championship they almost did and so it's like they're right they're close they're knocking on the door but you know the real question is you know if they'd won one title like how many do you i mean part of this is always like how many do you have to win right and so you know the, the, they'd have something <laughs> Hang their hat on, but is that enough? And I'm like Doug, this was kind of spectacular. You know, this this Titans fan getting down to eye level and yelling at a nine or 10 year old, eight, eight nine or 10 year old Doug Battle. Yeah. Traumatic in your nightmares, but you know, the beauty of the Fanalytics podcast is I, I like to think at least playing a small role in reorienting how you think about him and the passion he brings to this and putting a positive spin on it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, now I've become that fan. Not really. I would never do that, but I did um, paint my face in college yeah. and my entire body. So okay. one other, one other Titans thing that I just have to mention is that my first internship I've long been into, like before podcasting was podcasting, I was into like radio and stuff. And as a high schooler, I interned for this radio show, the Rick and Bubba show. Some of you guys may be familiar and Rick and Bubba, they're, they call themselves the sexiest two fat men alive. That is their, that's their claim to fame. And if you watch the greatest play in Titans history, which was that kick return and those playoffs where they, you know, miracle, whatever. Yeah, I don't are know. Bob was they- still active. Yeah. They're still doing their thing. WZZK 1047 if you're in Birmingham <laughs> and uh, Rick was on the field for that, for that game. I don't know if he got like a press pass or something. He got invited down onto the field. And if you watch the video of this team celebrating and stuff, sure enough, there you see Rick, big old Rick Burgess, I think at his, probably his first Tennessee Titans game. And there's a painting, I think, I don't know if Steve McNair's in it, or there's a painting of everyone set of the players celebrating. And in the painting, there's kind of this like fat guy with a beard <laughs> and it's Rick. So, so Rick, that's one of his claims to fame is that he was part of the magic in that game. And something that I love seeing that video and seeing old Rick running onto the field, didn't know what to do, hugging players. He's never... I mean, that's where... See, that's where I think they... I think Tennessee really does have some good fans that were part of that and have ever since then. I think the reason they have any fans at all is because of that run, because that was like magical. Like, you know, Auburn fans are like that with... I know so many people who will say, I was there for the kick six or whatever, and it was that kind of event where if you were there, if you were anywhere around that, there's no way you can't be a fan for the rest of your life, and the Titans just need more of that. Unfortunately,
0: well, Tennessee may have the same sort of problems as the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? You remember there's a big dog in that state that's. You Are you know, talking about a- that's owned that fan base and that loyalty for a long time, and so you know they're trying to create something new. And again, you know, smaller things. Nashville's also a city that's grown rapidly, which always means that it's full of transplants, and yeah. so it's a tough market. Okay, Doug. Yeah changing directions. This one's kind of tough. At 25, we got the Buffalo Bills, okay? And this is always gonna generate well-deserved pushback, okay? Doug's just making faces at this point, (laughs) which is fine because it's an amazing fan base. But these rankings are based on marketing performance after we control for things like the market size and the team performance. And so there's this incredible is it passion controlled in, for,
1: for cost of living and
0: yeah. Okay. And so you know, there's this incredible passion in Buffalo, but you know what it is, and this is might be true with the Tennessee Titans fans as well. There just aren't enough of them. Okay, and so as a little takeaway, you know, Buffalo is a small market, but you know what? Green Bay is an even smaller market. Green Bay's ticket prices are 50% higher than Buffalo's ticket prices. So yeah. This one pains me because those Buffalo fans are clearly great fans. They love that team. It's almost more seems almost more like a college thing in terms of the closeness of that community. But there just don't seem to be enough. And it doesn't seem like the fandom has been able to transcend the Buffalo metropolitan area. Okay, now you can tell me whatever you want. Well, I just want to say this.
1: I've never met someone from Buffalo who was not just a Bills fan, Sabers fan, but a die hard Bills fan, someone who watches every game, who you know I mentioned how I used to cry every game when the Giants would lose as a child. I think that's how Bills fans react as adults. I mean, they're that level of passion. And as you were speaking, I had like running through my head some of the crazy tailgate videos we've seen of guys jumping off of tables at Bills tailgates covered in snow with you know, icicles in their beards and frostbite on their nose. The Bills fans are elite, in my opinion. And, Mike, I have to ask, is there not a way to measure, like, I understand that there's less fans. Is Like, per fan, though, like, the passion within each fan seems higher than, say, a team with a lot of fans like the Dallas Cowboys.
0: Yeah, I mean, so it's like, what can we observe, right? What can we see? Yeah. We can see when people follow on social. We can see what they pay. We can't see, we can't see the love in their hearts, right? And I think that's always going to be the pushback. Like, all I can do can is we look at
1: like alcohol sales <laughs> in the in around the stadium, like in that city, for um, each fall and see where they compare because they've got to be one of the tops in the league, even though they have less people.
0: Look, there may be some other metrics, you know, merchandise per person. But again, yeah. what this comes back to is you got to remember. So if you're just going to compare a couple of markets, we'll pick Green Bay because it's us, This also yeah. this relative. It's, it's a much smaller market, much higher prices, much, you know, three or four times in terms of the social media reach. And so that's, you know, that's how you have to look at it. Now, the bills are... Again, we're talking about this idea of like this mismatch between elite brands and elite quarterbacks at this point. The Bills got a shot. The question is is this going to be like the 1990s with Jim Kelly getting close over and over again or are they going to, you know, break down the door, capture the imagination and have that fan base, have that fan base expand. Now Doug, let me ask you this. Who's on the cover of Madden this year? Josh Allen? Is there a and
1: card? and the Bills fans. <laughs> okay, yeah, have we had fans
0: on the cover before? I don't think so. I don't know. Is it and so they are poised, but you know what, I felt like it was last year was their year as well. Yeah. And it, I that was my school. a remarkable season in Buffalo last year in terms of not just the team, DeMar Hamlin, mm. the grocery store shooting, the blizzards. I mean, mm. I, again, You would have to have a heart of stone to not root for the Bills and to root for Bills fandom. So Mm -hmm. the Bills are at number 25, and I'm sorry. I'm
1: curious. You know, we talked earlier about the Golden State Warriors, like when they started winning championships and how they started reaching a little bit of a different audience. I wonder what that looks like. Because one thing that is beautiful about Buffalo is uh, you mentioned the ticket prices not being as high as like Green Bay. You certainly don't get the feeling when you're watching a Buffalo Bills game that they priced out the true fans from being there. And so I think that's part of why it feels like they've got a better fan base than, say, the Green Bay Packers. Whereas in reality, a lot of those like Packers fans who have that same level of passion might not be in the stadium. They're at a bar or at home watching on TV because a Packers game costs three times more than going to a Bills game. But I I am curious to see if they continue the success that they're having if they do win Super Bowls with Josh Allen which again is going to be incredibly challenging in the same division as Zach Wilson I'm just kidding as uh, as Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow but if they're able to do it do things change there like we talked about Alabama earlier you know going from the NASCAR fans to the attorneys and physicians and, <laughs> in Alabama does the scenery at a Bills game change? Do those ticket prices go up? Do they relocate to a, a wealthier region? It's almost
0: like we want to coin some phrase, like the paradox of fandom, right? So you're a Bills fan. You just you live and die with this team. You want them to make it to the Super Bowl. You want them to make it to multiple Super Bowls. And if they do, the first thing that's going to happen is that club is going to price you out of the stadium.
1: Yeah, it's inevitable. And... And I mean, I've experienced that with with Georgia football and we'll see it. I think another like we were paralleling Taylor Swift to sports earlier, so I can draw the parallel back, bring it full circle with music is like when you're a fan of an artist who is kind of under the radar and you want it, you don't feel like they get the credit they deserve. You don't feel like, you know, they get as much love as some less talented artists, less talented songwriters. And then that artist has a hit single on the radio and they blow up. And all of a sudden, they stop making the kind of music that you love and have followed them for all these years. And now they're making radio pops, you know, just kind of candy coated pop songs, generic stuff, and topping the charts. And everyone's listening to them, but they're no longer making the product that their core audience initially loved. I think, like, and this isn't a criticism, but I think, like, there are fans of, like, The Weeknd or, like, Ed Sheeran that feel that way, who were fans before the mainstream blowups. And so it is kind of uh, just across the board in fandom something that like, and I'll even say this as a star Wars fan, I've been saying for years, man, I wish they would make star Wars stuff again. I wish, you know, I wish someone would buy that franchise so that they would just make stuff and Disney buys it. And now they make stuff that I don't like, you know, more times than not. And so it's like, there is this dilemma as a fan for wanting your team to do well, or wanting the show to get picked up or wanting, the artist to blow up and to get the recognition they deserve. And then there comes a point where it's like either the product changes because of that, or you get priced out of being able to consume it either way. You're not consuming what you wanted to consume initially.
0: Yeah. Okay. So Doug, feel bad about the bills rankings, but that's the number in some ways. The numbers don't lie at number 24. This is an interesting one to me because it's like, this is a, It's like one of these long-time established teams. It's not a team that's moved. But I don't really have much understanding of the fan base here. And so at number 24, we've got the Detroit Lions. The Lions, I suspect that Lions fandom is just like one of these things that's below the surface. That if that team has some success, it probably explodes. Because you're talking about sort of this Older blue collar market, you know, Doug. There are not a lot of people moving into the D- Detroit area. This is not Phoenix or Orlando. Mm-hmm. But even with the struggles of, look, I looked it up. The Lions have not won a playoff game since nineteen ninety one. Oh, that's astonishing. Is that was that like Barry Sanders, or even before him? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that's Barry Sanders. So yeah. I would out of just about anyone on this list I would like to see a Lions Super Bowl run more than just about for any other team just cuz I'd like to see what would happen I'd love to see the coverage of the Detroit fandom to see what to see how this team and this community to see how it works because they have been I think they haven't been successful they've also been really ignored except for Thanksgiving day each season
1: <laughs> that that is their I think that's their purpose. It's like they're just the Thanksgiving Day team. I know Eminem is a fan. I, I saw. I think when they did a the Hard Knock Show, they had a whole Eminem thing about that, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Like how they're bringing that in and working that into it. And I, I think that Detroit. I mean, the Pistons are kind of the Pistons had that success, you know. And I don't know where they rank, but I don't imagine it's super high amongst yours. It's pretty low. They did not. Yeah, so
0: I, they I didn't. Think make part it, of it is leap to become this iconic brand for whatever yeah, reason.
1: I, I think part of it is just the market. I think that like, I'll, not that this is how all fans behave, but I, w- I will say when I was a kid and I lived in Alabama, we don't have an NFL team, so I was picking a team and the players were certainly, they certainly factored in. Like, I really liked Tiki Barber. He was my favorite player, but there was also this draw to New York City. The Giants had this glamour to them that I could aspire to live there one day or to visit one day and see all the things and go to the Big Apple. And there's no one inspiring to go to Detroit. It's not a place people want to travel. It's not, you know, it's not a destination for fans who don't live in the city. So it kind of cuts it off to just the local crowd. And I don't really know what the local scene is like and why, like the Pistons, for example, and the Lions, both kind of struggle but it seems like it's just a really tough market and on top of that they haven't had great teams Of course they've come a long way since they like when they drafted Matthew Stafford things really turned around over the since really since then I mean with Jared Goff they've had some success as well but kind of have been stuck in that NFL like right you know below the tier of teams that make the Super Bowl where they're making the playoffs maybe but not making it very far or as you may, not making well, it anywhere once they're in you know if they are in so they're kind of a fringe playoff team every year for forever in my but, lifetime
0: but and again i got to think there's underlying strength here last year they sold 98% of their tickets okay wow. they went 9 and 8 made it to the wild card Golf again, had a great year selling 98% of your tickets when you haven't won a playoff game since 1991 there's fandom there oh yeah it's so beaten down
1: it's, I think that's impressive. That it I mean, granted, they might be selling their tickets for five dollars. I don't know. Apparently, the ticket prices aren't too high if they're selling ninety-eight percent and they're ranked this low. So, um, six
0: lowest ticket price. Yeah,
1: but it. I mean, it does say something that the fans are showing up.
0: Okay, that, that totally everywhere. Let's totally switch it up. So from number twenty-four in you know cold weather Detroit, number twenty-three, one of the most glamorous markets in the NFL, Miami. Miami does have some history, right? You got Dan oh, Marino. Yeah.
1: Undefeated. As,
0: well, as, as, yeah, the undefeated Dolphins with Greasy and Zonka. You've got Marino, who might be, might have been regarded as the GOAT at the quarterback position, except for the lack of a Super Bowl and probably before Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Yeah. wrestled that away. But it, Don Shula is one of the probably three or four most iconic coaches in the NFL. Booming market. But, you know, it's a market, again, probably a lot of transplants, probably not yeah. the right demographics for NFL football, and we end up at number 23. I also think, you know, looking at the future, I think there's a lot of uncertainty here.
1: You Tua. know,
0: Tua is puts them in a position where who knows where it's going to go from here. Yeah, I really
1: like Tua as a player and as a person, a little bit concerned for his situation with the concussion issues he's had don't know that I would want him playing football uh, if I were a family member of his but nonetheless I mean he's a guy that brought their fan base had to increase significantly just having lived in Alabama when Tua went to Miami, everybody was buying those Dolphins jerseys up and they're watching the games now and they're Dolphins fans now. So th- they brought in a guy that brings fandom and has a lot of upside as a quarterback. I think it's just a matter of health with Tua. I think that's the big deal or the, or the big issue with do you
0: him. Like the, do you like the Miami coach, Doug?
1: Are you talking about... He looks like the bad guy from like the latest Jason Bourne movie. Yeah,
0: on the side. Like an
1: app. yeah. yeah. he's a guy that you just assume he's really smart just purely based on because he's that young and he's I, that I, young and he's coaching and he looks like a dork and you're like okay th- they didn't hire him because he's this like alpha leader guy and they didn't i mean he's got to be a brainiac which is kind of similar you know to eric spolstra for the heat he was a young guy when they hired him as head coach and he was formerly the video coordinator. And so I think both of them kind of have that, like somewhat of a, a sports analytics background, like a little bit more of a intellectual mindset for a sports coach relative to the, to the kind of the old school, like hard nose, like tough guy thing. And uh, I think it's interesting. I mean, his pressers are always interesting to watch because his he's a unique guy, like relative to the other coaches in the NFL. And I think that, you know, any success that they do have it tends to get attributed to him being a genius of sorts which is always like i said much like eric Spolstra, but is always you know kind of interesting to see how a different type fares in the NFL where 90% of these coaches played football at a very high level they're big old guys they're they're over these massive guys and these big personalities so what happens when you take up brainiac and put him in the same situation he might be smarter than the next coach in terms of Xs and Os can he lead a room like that? Uh, can the brains like do big things like we saw with Moneyball? You know, Can we see that kind of turnout for a Miami team that's really struggled prior to this coach? It, it keeps it interesting to me, at least.
0: Yeah, you know what I'd like to see based on that comment, Doug, is maybe take one of these older football coaches yeah. and make him the dean of a business school.
1: Yeah. Flip it and see how that yeah. works. Yeah. Well, we did that we I mean not to get political, we kind of did that with
0: <laughs> with the with the president. So, no getting political. We are about to get political on this show as we go into the fall. <laughs> so, let's say let's keep the powder dry on that because <laughs> things can only go wrong. So, we'll rock the, we'll walk that tightrope this fall. It is an interesting
1: mindset to look at maybe to look at failures over the years and say You know what these guys have in common is that they all do this. They're all the type of guys that do this. Everyone that's been president has been a politician. So let's get a non-politician. That's how it feels with the Miami coach. Like Everyone who's done this has been a big football guy, tough guy. Let's get a totally different type of guy and just see what happens. (laughs) That's how it feels. And hey, it worked out for the Heat with Spolstra. And it seems like it might be working for the Dolphins. They've got to have that postseason success for the Looking ahead, I
0: mean, looking ahead, you could say, you know, Miami's in an interesting spot because Tua is such an intriguing the talent Mm -hmm. seems to be there. The health concerns are off the charts. He's rapidly getting to the point where you're gonna have to make a decision of whether or not to pay him. It's also you know, the Dolphins are in a position in that division where suddenly you got Josh Allen, now you got Aaron Rodgers you've oh. got Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins make some progress forward, but it also wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins regressed to the mean or ended up even in last place in that division. So th- the Dolphins could find themselves in a really tough spot and could be the Dolphins could well be trending downward in terms of the these fan base rankings.
1: Yeah, I, I would just say if I'm a Dolphins if I'm in Dolphins management, I'm really, I think a big emphasis for me would be QB2. It reminds me a lot of the Washington R words with RG3 a couple, like years back. I guess that was like 10 years ago now where they had Kirk Cousins waiting in the wings. They got him in that same draft. Ended up, he could have, if they had played their cards right, he could have been the franchise guy when RG3's injury concerns became super legit. And I, Tua is just, a he's been fragile. He was in college. And like I said, he's, he's I mean technically, I don't know if he should be playing football, and so that's a team that they might be a playoff team with TuA. If he misses a couple of games, they might be the bottom of the division. It's a pretty huge swing. And do you want to pay a guy like that? do you want to lock in that situation for the long term? I don't know that I would. Who knows he could be healthy for the next 10 years? I wouldn't put money on it though. So it's a tough situation to be in for their coach and for their management and you know as far as fans go, like you said, the demographic isn't favorable to professional American football. Uh, transient place, you know they get a little bit of college fandom from a guy like Tua. Doug, hilariously, you
0: mentioned the price increase. Miami Inter has a higher, may have a higher average ticket price than the Miami Dolphins. Now, that or wouldn't in, surprise me at all. Again, Maybe they I need to sign Messi. I don't even know how to say its it. Inter Miami, the soccer Inter, team. Yeah. Okay. So, again, there, there's some – got to pay attention to this stuff. There's some interesting market signals happening down there.
1: Yeah, and one other factor that we talked about this with the Chargers is that you're not only competing with other sports teams for fandom, but there's the beach. There's like – a party scene, you know, in Miami that it's notorious for, there's a music scene down there. There's, I mean, there's a lot going on in Miami. So demographics aside, even if it is the act, you know, the right demographic for football, there's, they're being pulled in so many different ways that it's unlike green Bay where, which again is kind of the perfect example of like, this is the one unifier. This is the one thing to do. This is the one thing that everyone's going to do every week. Dolphins are not that I don't think they ever will be. Maybe they were when Marino was there and they were breaking records. But to get back to that point, I don't know. They've got an uphill battle for sure.
0: Okay. Doug, our last team for this week, number 22. Again, you know, these stories are all really interesting when you think about these as individual markets. Because at number 22, we've got the Los Angeles Rams, which. May seem a little low given the recent Super Bowl victory but you know you look at the metrics you look at the social following the pricing and the results are pretty mediocre for a team operating in a potentially lucrative market with a lot of recent success now we've already mentioned the chargers so it's there's also this interesting battle or fascinating battle between the chargers and the rams to be the southern california football team
1: Yeah, part of me wonders if they just had one L.A. team, if it would be like the combination of the Chargers and Rams fans on paper, you know, and they would rank 10 spots higher if their numbers would be that much better. Or, you know, if the Rams brought any fans from St. Louis, it doesn't seem like they did. I mean, part of the reason they left St. Louis, they didn't have a ton of fans. Same with the Chargers in San Diego, for whatever reason. I mean,
0: how many fans did they get back? Because it was the Los Angeles Rams, right? I mean, it's yeah. a weird—it's a weird history for this club.
1: Yeah, and I don't. It's like somebody's grandparents were Los Angeles Rams fans, but I don't know how much that fandom was passed down just simply because of
0: the relocations. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, and you might be a little young for it. What they call Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce. Was it the greatest show on turf? Yeah. If that had happened in LA. Would different that, ball game. They're the okay, Lakers. Different ball game, right? Yeah. That, those kind of, I mean, the Rams had some glory days with, you know, Deacon Jones, Merlin Olsen in the seventies, late sixties, seventies. Yeah. That kind of iconic offensive production with Kurt Warner. And again, maybe not a hall of fame quarterback, but a Hall of Fame quarterback story, a Hall of Fame oh, yeah. quarterback narrative. Yeah. And that offense was just, it was made for TV. Mm-hmm. What could have been? And so I, I suspect you're right. Maybe they wouldn't be in that elite level of NFL brands, but they might be in that next group with the 49ers and the Bears and the, you know, not to foreshadow too much where the list is going.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what would have happened. And I think that, Their situation now, NBA parallel, is like the Brooklyn Nets, a team they've had big stars. They've gone on. I mean, the Rams have gone on bigger runs, but they've had. They've both teams have been very competitive since relocating. They're somewhat connected. Whether the Rams previously were in Los Angeles, Brooklyn, you know, were in, in New Jersey before, not too far. Maybe some overlap there in terms of fandom, but it is. It's such a I think fandom is just built over time and over generations. I really do. And I think, I don't think I'm the Georgia fan that I am if my mom wasn't the Georgia fan that she was. And I know she wouldn't be the Georgia fan that she was if her parents didn't raise her watching all the games from the day
0: she was, and and it goes on and on. And so oddly, she might not be the Georgia fan she is. If you weren't the Georgia fan, you were.
1: Oh, I think so too. It goes both. It goes, because that's something we enjoy together and, and so it keeps her engaged. And, and so, you know, the teams like the Rams, teams like the Brooklyn Nets, they have, I mean, they might have a couple fans in that category where, you know, well, we moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn or, you know, well, we started pulling for them and we kept pulling for them when they were in St. Louis and now they're back and we're really pulling for them in Los Angeles. But I think that it takes generations. I really do. And so I think that it's no surprise. I think they're doing the best they can do. I think it's pretty telling, though, that when the Super Bowl was in LA, it seemed like the crowd was mostly just people who were there for the spectacle and not a lot of like hardcore fans. I don't know that they have hardcore fans. I don't know how you could in that situation. And so I'm, you know, I almost surprised they're as high as they are, to be honest, Mike.
0: Well, and I think in fairness, right, we should also. You know, I, I throw a pop. The model includes things like population and median income. LA has an enormous population. It's the second largest metropolitan area. The income levels are outstanding. There's a lot of wealth in LA. Yeah. But, you know, going back to some of the themes you've brought up, I mean, look, I mean, there's definitely some stories here, right? The move to St. Louis and the move back, moves are usually devastating to fan bases but even the los angeles market is probably nowhere near as good in reality as it is on paper there is great weather in la so they're competing with the beach there is a, a there is the heart of the entertainment industry the global entertainment industry. So there are options. Along with some of that, you know, the, there's California in LA has undergone a dramatic demographic yep. transition. So it is something where it, maybe they are doing about as well as they can. And look, maybe for the NFL, maybe the LA market is a little bit of fool's gold. They see the income numbers, they see the population size, but it's. May not be a core football market.
1: I I fully agree with that. I still think it's probably worthwhile for the NFL simply because there is so much wealth, and people will pretty nonchalantly go to a football game they don't really care about and spend a lot of money just to do it, just to say they went, you know, just to get the pictures and, and be somewhat connected to their community. I guess, but I think you're dead on and with saying it's fool's gold this is not it's not i don't think it has the potential that it might seem like i don't think that city is ever going to be unified over a football team i think the lakers are a pretty pretty good and that's a team that relocated at one point right from minneapolis and so maybe over generations of success of enormous success you can achieve that but apart from that you don't see i almost see like the nfl teams kind of like the same way i see the clippers in the sense that they're going to in the sports world they're going to be the little brother to the lakers and the sports world is kind of the little brother to the rest of the entertainment scene and so it's a tough market
0: you bring up some something interesting and again you know the complexities of those market are you know because in in some ways it doesn't feel like la is going to be that It's not gonna be the sports market that a Boston is or a New York or Chicago. But the Lakers fandom is the top fan base in the NBA. Mm -hmm. In MLB, the Dodgers are probably a top five brand. I think they were the top five brand last time I did MLB. And so it's possible in LA. But it does seem to take something kind of special to get to that level, right? There's a
1: lot of history, a lot of history with those two teams. Right.
0: But maybe there's a lot of competition. So LA might be a very competitive market. And if you're going to break through and have that kind of elite fan base, elite fandom, you got to have this kind of persistence, you know, this tradition of excellence. And I think the
1: Rams are off to a good start. I think winning a Super Bowl right out the gate, was it certainly differentiated them from the Chargers in the sense of kind of being the big brother team for the city of Los Angeles, and they've started what yeah. should be a long process of gaining that history. Harbor. I know. I mean, I think the I think it's still a fight, but yeah, I think yeah. the in the Rams' eyes, you've started that. You know, you want to be the Dodgers, you want to be the Lakers, you got to win championships. Well, guess what? You know, we went out, we lost one, we won one, we're a contender pretty regularly and we're here to stay and we plan on building a history for to become you know maybe a hundred years from now they talk about the rams like they talk about the dodgers who's to say who's to say
0: okay so we'll wrap it here for this week next week we'll continue the countdown you can see the full results if you want to look at www.fandomanalytics.com thank you